0: Oh, Good morning everybody. Nice to have some of you here. It's good to see some folks with us this morning. And um, I want to uh, just also send my greetings out to everybody watching online, whether you're watching live or sometime in the future. It's nice to be speaking to people who exist in the future. Um, I want to uh, continue today a series I started just before the Easter season when we took a break called When God Speaks. And so I want to remind us, as we sort of build up to something, uh, today we're actually going to be looking just at one portion of Scripture pretty much the whole time, but let's do a reminder, refresher, okay? So the last time we looked at this and we, asked, we said, God is always speaking. Um, as we just sang about, God is wanting to have a relationship uh, and an open communication with us. And we talked about the different ways that God speaks to us. He speaks to us directly. Yes, remember, God can speak to you. He speaks to us indirectly sometimes through somebody else or through circumstance. Um, He can speak audibly. He can speak through music. He can speak through prophets. Right? He can speak through the written word. He can speak through nature. Amen? Many of us are getting more walks than we've ever got before. I don't know about you, but you're definitely experiencing uh, more. uh, Maybe God's speaking to us through nature and our just general circumstance. And ultimately, God speaks to us by his Holy Spirit. Okay? Okay? Uh, the Holy Spirit is God and speaks to us. We were reminded in Psalm 29.4, it says, The voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is majestic. And God speaks to us in so many ways that we summed it up last time, and I want to remind us, God speaks however He wants. I want to make something very clear. It might be tempting to say, God speaks to us just as we need it. I always like to look at it from His perspective. He speaks to us how he wants, and it's what we need. Okay, We tend to always, and we're going to remind ourselves, remember, we are not the star of the story. We are not the headliner of this show. We are not the ones that this is all about. It always has been and always will be about Jesus. And so when he speaks to us, he speaks to us in a way that we need to hear it. What is the Holy Spirit constantly telling us about Jesus? And so today, as I mentioned, uh, sorry, last time as I mentioned, when God speaks, Things shouldn't remain the same. But the question sometimes is, the outcome is based on how we respond to what he's saying. So I want to just, we're going to go to one section of scripture today, and I want to give you some background first before we go there. We're actually going to whack to the book of Isaiah, okay, chapter 55. We won't go there yet, but I just want to talk about what's happening here, give you some historical, political uh, um, understanding of what's happening and understand how we apply Old Testament scripture sometimes. So as I mentioned before, we're not the star of the show, and it's very tempting sometimes when you're reading the Old Testament especially to put yourself in the story. Okay, But you really shouldn't do that. Okay? or to say, oh, this applies to the church as such and such. It's, it's, you've got to be careful to do that. There are times when God is speaking in the Old Testament when it clearly is for the people of Israel at that time, and then there's times where he's speaking where it's for the people of Israel and for all of humanity for all time. So you ready for a couple of very good examples? How about this one? When God said, cross the Red Sea. Well, he's not telling anybody now to cross the Red Sea, but he was, where he was in that moment, telling the Israelites, cross the Red Sea, specifically for that time. And now, we can look at that though and say, oh, there's a lesson to learn from that, that there may be times where God is telling us to do something that seems impossible, but if we put our faith in him and follow what he says despite what I see in front of me, he will deliver me, he will get me out of this, you see? so. God isn't telling the church and all people of all time cross the Red Sea. There, but there's a lesson or a principle to be learned. Now, But there are other times where God says something like to the Israelites, Thou shalt not kill. And we can't say, well, that was just for the Israelites back then. I can kill because that was just given to them. Now that is an overarching universal word of God spoken, not just specifically to the people of Israel, but that we shouldn't kill. You, you guys get what I'm going? So when you're reading the Old Testament, you've got to say, what, what is happening here? What am I reading, and what can I learn from this? So when we're reading uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 55, we're actually looking at a prophecy. So remember, God speaks through prophecy given to the people of Israel who are in captivity in Babylon. And now it's hard for our modern minds to understand, especially if you're from the West, but this is the situation that happened. Sometime uh, in the 598 to 587 uh, BC, before Christ, the Babylonians conquered Judah. And they took all the Jews, and what they knew, they knew if they left them there, they would cause trouble and rebel. So what they used to do, empires back then, they wisely would take the people who lived in one place and move them closer to the center of the empire. Let them live and let them whatever, but they would control them through that way. They would say, now you live here with us and you've, um, yeah, you're stuck here with us, basically. You can live, but you have to follow our rules and follow our, our ways, okay? And so we're coming near the end of that captivity here when this, the captivity actually ends in 538 B.C., okay, when the Persians conquer Babylonia, okay, you may have heard Cyrus the Great, okay, and Cyrus the Great conquers Babylonia, and he says to the Jews, okay, you can go back, and there's a whole bunch of Bible stories about that, but we're not getting into that today, but this is what's happening, and in those Isaiah chapters uh, 54, 55, and even before that, you begin to see the Bible is prophesying about a servant and about a coming Savior, and uh, many theologians argue about this. They like to say that, oh, it's talking about Cyrus, because Cyrus is the one that takes them out and lets them go back to Judah. Uh, some say it's talking about David, you know, because David was the, the, the King David, because he was the one that is the beginning of the uh, royal bloodline in um, Israel. And there's some truth. There are some verses clearly in Isaiah, in these areas that are talking about Cyrus, there are some that are talking about David. But clearly, and uh, we understand these chapters to be what's called messianic prophecies. So they're prophecies about telling you what Jesus is going to do. Okay? So at one time, it is, this prophecy is telling the people of Israel, you're going to be saved and delivered, and you're going to go back to Judah. So there's a specific in-the-moment thing, like cross the Red Sea. He's, he's telling the people, you're, you're, you're trapped now, but you're going home. So that part of the prophecy is not for me and you. We're not going out of exile from Babylonia to Judah. But there are principles and maxims and truths to be learned from what's said here to the people. Okay? Back in verse, excuse me, in chapter fifty-four, which we're not going to look at pretty good, the people are told to rejoice because the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. Uh, it promises God's loving kindness will not depart from you, so on and so forth. And then we get into uh, chapter 55. And there is this urgency and it's, it's almost like bubbling forth in uh, the first few verses about God speaking to his people. Now remember, he is in this moment speaking to the Jews who are captured in Israel. It's hard to imagine. They've been there for decades. Whole generation has died and a whole new generation has been born, some, most who have never known what it is to live in Judah. Okay? Remember, people didn't have the same lifespans that we have now. So if you're in captivity for, captivity for seven years, 70 years, excuse me, and the average lifespan is 35 to 40 years old, You've almost had two turnovers of people. And they speak of, the oldest people left speak of Judah. Remembering, I remember I was a little boy. I was a little girl. And I remember, I remember, I remember. There's almost no memory left. But they just have a longing for home. We're not those people. But we can learn something from what God says to them. Okay, so let's go to verse 1 and 2. Put the first two ones up. It says, Come all you who are thirsty. Come all ye uh, to the waters, and come who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and why labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Now remember, this is first going to a people who are being controlled. Again, it's so hard for us to, you know, we feel like, oh, I have to wear a mask again, and only 25 of us can go to church, and we feel controlled. (laughs) These are people. Every waking moment of their existence is dictated by an empire that is telling them where to live and who can do this and who you can pray to and where you can go and blah 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 blah. I mean, this is people who are really under an empire. And then this prophet comes and says, "Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. Come and have all who have no money." And you might again now some of them I'm sure were prospering, but for mostly these are people in captivity, you know. And they have this idea. Um, there's this urgency. So we, we see there the idea of thirst and hunger, right? So I wonder, has anybody here ever been thirsty before? Ever, you know, if, you're, if you're at home, put up your hand. If you're here, put up your hand. You've been thirsty? Now, I don't know everybody here very closely, okay? But I'm going to wager that none of you have ever been this thirsty, okay? Have any of you ever been stuck in a desert, perhaps, and not had water? I'm going to share a little story with you to talk about thirst, okay? This is a true story, and uh, this is uh, it's, it's a bit silly, but this is what happened. So in 1995, when I was 16 or about going to 17, 16, about to be 17, uh, my parents sent me, uh, my, my school had a grad trip. You know, the grad school goes on trips. Now, I, I, this is going to sound crazy, guys. I know most people go to New York or Ottawa or whatever. My school went to Kenya. Okay, I went to a private school. Back when dad, before dad was a pastor, he made good money. Okay, and uh, then he gave it all up. And uh, so back in those days, I got to go to Kenya. Fantastic, beautiful country. And on the last night there, they had this dinner planned. And um, they took us to a place called the Carnivore. And anybody who's from Kenya or has ever been there might know about it. And so it's a restaurant. Check it out. It's really cool. You get to eat Every meat that's legal to eat in Kenya, you're allowed to have. So they come with a spit of whatever animal is legal to eat in that country. Giraffe, ostrich, antelope, you name it. Um, um, all sorts of, a snake, all sorts of things. And I, will, I should have told you that most of the guys that went on the trip with me were from my rugby team. So we're just a bunch of guys. I'm so friends with some of them today. And we're like, yeah, meat, ah! whatever. And we're just eating, eating, eating. Now, um, so, we went there, and the restaurant was lovely, and it was all prepaid, okay, and so we were eating and drinking and enjoying ourselves. And then afterwards, you know, sometimes teachers, they overplan things. They decided that the next, was it morning or whatever, we should go to this other place to eat, and it was again lovely food. But by this point, it was the morning we were leaving, and none of us had any Kenyan money left, okay? And none of us could get water. And nobody wanted to use nobody had travelers checks left. Do you remember those guys? <laughs> it was the 90s, travelers checks. There was no internet, okay, guys, so we couldn't like just download money from our phone or anything like that. And nobody could buy water. And I'll never forget just everybody just dying to get to the airport. Just so you could get past through the airport and use US dollars in the, you know, thing to buy water. Now that it's we were just like, ugh strong young men, just like, and all we wanted. We didn't care about food. We didn't care about security. We didn't care about flying home. All we wanted was a bottle of water. And that's probably the thirst has ever been, and it's still not close to the type of thirst it's talking about here. It's a craving, and it's something that, will, if you're truly thirsty, will take over every other concern in your life, even more than food. Right? Because we know we can survive for food a lot longer than we can survive without water. Right? In our own nature. Okay? So much so that somebody, if they're adrift in the ocean, right, and thirsty, unfortunately their minds will go insane and they'll start drinking salt water just to get the feeling of water, although it won't help them in the way, of course, that they want. That's, that's how much we need water. And so the invitation of God here to these people, but then the, the principle we will learn, Jesus is saying, come to me, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, come and even if you have no money, Come and eat, right? What do you mean? Yeah, it's going to cost you nothing when you come to me. Okay, so now those who are already self-satisfied, those who are already self-righteous, it's hard for them to understand this. You know, Jesus did say, didn't he? It's it's harder for a rich person. It's harder for a camel. Sorry, it's harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And you say, oh, that sounds crazy. What he's saying, it's really hard because rich people are comfortable. Right? And we go, yeah, Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, they must be so comfortable, right? But I want you to remember that in that story that Jesus said, you are the rich person, not Jeff Bezos, not Bill Gates. The average person today in Canada, even those of most modest means, can eat every day, has a secure home, is able to go to work, get a paycheck. That, my friends, is rich. And so sometimes we find ourselves in a place where we can't thirst and hunger. But there are people out there who are. The world is broken and, crave, uh, and crying out. And G- the invitation from God is, come everybody. Come and drink and eat, even if you have no money. Basically saying there is no cost. But it's an offer of Pure, free, um, remember this great word, grace. Do you remember Romans 6.23? It's not going to be up there, but Romans 6.23, what does it tell us about? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? And so there's, there's there's an immediate truth to this, that he's saying I'm coming to free you from the Babylonians, and there's a messianic overtone to what's being said here, that when you come to the Messiah, it's free. Every come free, come eat, come drink. Okay? And in this idea, okay, what, verse two, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor, labor on what does not satisfy? Another way you might say this is, why are you striving so much for, to find your way out, to find your salvation? You're wasting your time. I shared this one with the elders uh, on Friday during a meeting, and I, I say this a lot at work. Um, there's a... There's a a gentleman by the name of Peter Drucker, and he has a great quote. It says, there's nothing more useless than doing efficiently that which never should have been done in the first place. I'm going to say it one more time. There's nothing more useless than doing efficiently that which never should have been done in the first place. Okay? And so what, what, what God is saying to people today, don't waste your time striving and working, trying to get your salvation, trying to save yourself. I've already done it. OK, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. I love that idea. Right. And when you come to God, you're not skimping out. You're not getting seconds. You're getting the best, the best of the best. Mm-hmm. I wrote myself a little note here and forget, uh, apologies to my wife because she, sometimes we do eat this. I said no spiritual kale here. Yeah. <laughs> OK, now who's had kale? Let's be honest. It tastes horrible. And we only eat it because we know it's healthy. Okay? It's, it doesn't taste good. You're just lying to yourself if you think that. Okay? But the point is, I'm not being silly. But the same thing with God is, it's not come to Jesus and only get cheesecakes and chocolates and all that either. It's the richest affair. It's the tastiest and the most nutritious. Mixed together. You know, last night for dinner, we had stuffed peppers. Anybody on a bed of rice? Anybody have those delicious stuffed peppers with some, you know, some meat in there with a little bit of spice in it and then a nice bed of, uh, of rice? Like, it was succulent and delicious, but also healthy and also filling. And you know, when you eat it, you feel good afterwards. Right. And so the Bible speaks in these terms. So we understand when God speaks to us, he's saying, come to me, drink what I'm giving, eat what I'm giving. And you're going to feel you're going to feel full, but you're going to feel good because you all know I might go home tonight, eat a bag of Doritos. I'll feel full and I'll enjoy it while I'm doing it. And then half hour later, I'm going to be going, "Uh, why, why did I eat so many Doritos? Right. I, I know none of you have ever done that, but I have. Okay? But when you come to God, you eat what's good. When you listen to God, you eat what's good, you get what's good, and you delight in the richest of fare. So the invitation is to join God and invest, not in trying to save ourselves or figuring things out for ourselves, but invest our labor and our time and our money, as it were, which is in this sense our effort, in following Him and listening to Him. Let's look. Now we're talking about listening to God. Let's look at verse 3. Turn your ear and come to me. Go to verse three. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love, promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the people as a ruler and commander of the peoples. So again, here, the prophet is specifically through the Lord is speaking through the prophet specifically, saying, Hey, I made a promise to David that I would prosper his people. You are his people, those of you in Babylon. So I'm I'm fulfilling that promise and I'm bringing you back. Okay, there's a specific application to the people in that time, 530 something BC. Okay, but also we can learn from this that when we come to God, We are now, remember, we know from the New Testament that we are now, the Bible tells us, grafted into the vine, which means the promises that were given to Abraham and David and whatever, when you follow and believe in God, you are now part of that. You don't replace Israel, but you're part of it. So the same covenant, and a covenant, just to clarify, anybody knows, you can have a contract and you can have a covenant. Okay? Think of a covenant like a contract on steroids plus on you know everything amazing and great a thousand million times better than a contract okay a covenant an unbreakable promise okay so says I'll make a covenant with you to fulfill my faithful love promise to David. So David was a witness. David was an example, he's saying, of what I'm going to promise to you. And I'm promising the same thing to you that I promised David. I'm going to bring you out of Babylon and bring you back to Judah. And the same way, so we look at it today in our modern times, we can say, hey, I am part of this promise. So God's promises are true. As the Bible tells us, that God's promises are yes and amen. So yes and so be it. Okay. All right, we can sum it up like this. God keeps his promises. I wonder how many of you, whether you're here or listening online, have ever had a word from the Lord or had a God's promise over your life. The reminder here is, is that God will keep his promise. God never fails in his promises. Now, I know there can be times where you're frustrated. I know there can be times where you're sad. I know there can be times where you feel like, what is happening? Take heart this morning that when you come to God and you present yourself to him, he will keep his promises, just as he has to the people of Israel. And just as he has to the people of Israel to this day, I'm not going to get into it, but 2021, he is still fulfilling his promises to the people and the nation of Israel very clearly in the world today. And, of course, to the church. Okay, let's go to verses 5 and 6. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you don't know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him when He is near. Now there's all sorts of great overtones here. Theologians love to make this verse about anything that it actually other is. It is saying when the Messiah comes, all nations will come to the Messiah. And look around and look at yourself at home. You are the fulfillment of this promise. Okay, in this day, he's saying to you, these captives, you think you're captive, you think you're nothing, and I'm going to send you back to your home nation. And the day is coming when all nations will come and follow one who is born from you. And they must have said, are you crazy? We're here stuck in captivity. Some of them must have thought, are you nuts? I set up a nice business, I'm selling dates, everything's selling good, I've got a fig and date business going on here. Why would I get up? And go back and say, "Well, the promise of God is back there." And so, the the, and the maxim or the principle you can learn sometimes is that oh, God seems to be doing something that you don't understand, or seems to be going. You know, I, well, I'm settled now; I've got things sorted out. God might have a completely different plan for you, but that when He does, His purposes will be fulfilled when we follow Him. And then verse six, may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Now, this seems interesting you know because we always tell you God is everywhere God is always to be found okay and as i told you these people could have been like uh, remember these people were at a crossroads yes the jews had permission to go back to judah but you know what i bet you some didn't go back you see the prophet's encouragement here is go now while god is speaking while god when god speaks go do what he says Draw, when he's, he's near right now, he's talking to us, he's doing something, he's, he's making a move right now, go and do it. And I'm sure some people said, yeah, but my business, my business is my family. I'm doing this, I like this town. I like my house, I like my job, I like, I don't know. Okay, so they stayed and they missed out on the promise and the fulfillment of the promise that God made. So in the same way, the lesson we can learn from that is sometimes... When the Lord is speaking, as the saying goes, strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. Do what he says to do. I'm gonna, I'll get to it again later, but. When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen whether we participate or not. Okay? Hit the outworking of God's plan and principles for the whole world and for even our own city or even your family are not contingent on you behaving properly. Okay, so I'll just use my own family as an example because they can't get mad at me. If my parents had decided, that's it, we're walking away from the Lord, we don't care anymore, but the Lord had put it on me to be a, pre- a pastor or to be a preacher, his purposes would have been at work despite their behavior. I know many of you feel like, well, my kid's future is totally dependent on me. Listen, you need to be a good example, and you should be a good Christian in the home and all that stuff. But if God has spoken a word over somebody in your life or something in your life or somebody around, or God has said that this is going to happen and that's going to happen, you are not. You are not so powerful. Again, we are not the main character in this story. Don't make it about you. Make it about him. So if God has declared that the city of Montreal will see a great revival and there's nothing we can do about it, amen? Good, whether we participate or not. So God said here, my people are going back to Judah, and some people would say, well, you're crazy. He said when people were, were, were leaving Egypt, are you crazy? Listen, Egypt might be treat us, but at least we got three square meals a day. That's what people were saying. Remember when they first got mad at Moses in the desert? Moses, sure, we were in slavery, but at least they fed us. Like, that's how crazy we start thinking. So don't rely on your own self. Rely on the promises of God. Amen. Thank you, brother. Sometimes you feel like God has abandoned you. Sometimes you feel like for no apparent reason, he's not listening or he can't hear you. And actually, it's there where the way we react, our response defines who we are. Not what God is or what God does, who we are. It's a test of our character, right? It can be hard. I'm sure anybody ever been there? You know, God, where are you? I can't hear you. I've often wondered. I've begun to learn as I get a little bit older. It's not that God is hiding. Is that um? You ever, <laughs> you ever done um, peekaboo with a three-year-old? Yeah. Right, Eliana. I can play with her right now. Peekaboo. She goes like this. She's standing right in front of me. I don't go, what are you, stupid? I can see you. Right? To her, it's awesome. I'm now gone. Right? She, I can't see her. She can't see me. She's disappeared. Okay? Sometimes we're like that. Right? And we're like, God, I can't see you. And he's like, I'm right here. But you're choosing not to look. Okay, and I, I don't know why I sort of segued. I didn't even have that written down, but I think sometimes when we say, "Well, I'm not hearing from God," I often hear that. You know, I'm not hearing from God. I don't hear from God. God's not. Um, I'll say this: God's always speaking, and I really do believe if you genuinely, genuinely ask God, show me what you want to say, He will respond. But I will say this, and this I did write down: God tends to speak more when we speak back. Right? It's like any relationship. You know, if you want to stop hearing from somebody, stop talking to them. Does that make sense? God's not going to force himself on you. But you have to participate in this conversation. Let's go on. Verses 7 and 8. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. It goes on. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. So again, these are to the people who are leaving now. He's saying, hey, those of you who are thinking wrongly, those of you who are doing wrong, stop doing wrong. You're pardoned, you're forgiven. And of course, that's part of the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not, hey, those of you who are wicked, why are you so wicked? I really don't like you. Let's talk about your wickedness. No. Those who are wicked, just say sorry. Stop doing wickedness and come on, let's go. Okay? God will freely pardon you. Christians, again, I'll remind you. I really do believe this is something happening in the world today. We must learn to freely pardon people in our own lives. Because that's what God does. And God is going to freely pardon people in your life and in our society that we don't want to be freely pardoned. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but we, we will be like the second son. so Sorry, the older son in the prodigal story. Do you remember when the prodigal son comes back, the wayward son, the bad son? The son who stayed home, the son who followed all the rules, the son who went to church his whole life, the son who, who was a good little boy... Good for him. He did the right thing, but instead of rejoicing at the return of his brother, he got jealous. I said, "Not fair." Right? Let's not be that person. God freely pardons, so we should freely pardon enjoy. what we're going to get there. I don't want to get there too long. So it goes on. Why? Because my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways. Verse 9 says, For as high as the heavens are than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What he's telling the people of Israel when they're going, what do you mean? How are we going to get back from Judah? How are we going to get back there? They don't know that God is raising up a whole other empire in Persia and that Cyrus is going to come and go, you know what? Yeah. And be, be advised by people who, who believe in God and realize, you know what, this is the right thing. They need to go back. They have no idea. The average person has no idea. Yet, here we are thinking we all know what God is doing. Right? Yeah, again, I know I'm sorry I pick on people like this. But, you know, people will say, well, God is doing this in the world. And then this country is going to do this. And that country is going to invade that country. And that president is going to do this. You don't know. Stop acting like you know. We don't know. God is doing amazing things that we could never, ever imagine. God he'd be working on the hearts and minds right now, let's, let's just take somebody a, a country. Let's just take China, example I wrote it down here, China. We all know that the leadership of China, anyway, at face value is communist, anti-religion, and they have nothing to do with religion, and they, they are persecuting Muslims. they are persecuting Christians, they are persecuting uh, Tibetan monks and they're killing them, and they they hate religion, and it's all about... How do you know that there's not a birth revival happening right now in the the leadership of the Communist Party of China? Do you know? I don't know. But imagine? Imagine? See, we don't know. So the invitation here is, listen, God's thoughts are so much higher than I thought. Let's stop playing God and just go along with what he's doing. He doesn't do things the, way things the way we do them. He doesn't think the way we think, thank God. Right? Because ultimately, if he thought the way we thought, nothing would get done. So he's saying, don't sit in your current... He's saying to the people who are stuck in, the, in, the, in, the, in Babylon, and he's saying to us, don't sit stuck in the way you are right now or the way things are now. Start following God and believe that he will make a way. Where, as we often say, there seems to be no way. Right? We started talking about the what? The Red Sea. What do you mean, God? It's, it's a rushing sea. It's impossible to cross a sea. I love it, too. Some of you who study this stuff will know that then you get so-called theologians and Christians who start saying, Well, actually... Uh, if you look at it, there's a part of the Red Sea that's not too deep, but it's full of reeds. You know reeds, those things that grow by the, the river? And I guess if there's a really strong wind, it could be down to like three or four feet, and that's probably how they cross. Like, they got to explain away God of the universe saying, you, see, move. Right? He's either God or he's not. And we try to, oh, well, maybe he did it like this, and maybe he did that. Listen, God's thoughts are not our thoughts, God's ways. are Maybe he did do that, but who cares? He did it. You know, you read a story, uh, people want to explain the way the Old Testament all the time. There's a story in the Bible that the sun, hung, the sun hung in the air longer than normal in order for a battle to be finished. Well, that can't happen because we know the earth rotates around the sun and the sun rotates or whatever. You're talking about the person who made it. Stop telling him what he can and can't do with it. Well, that would be breaking the laws of nature. Yeah, but he wrote them. Right? Stop trying to explain away the grandeur and excellence of God as we see both in the Old and New Testament and just enjoy it and walk in it and live in it. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God has no evil thoughts. God has no bad thoughts. 1 John 1, 5, what's it tell us? This is the message we've heard from him and declared to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So all his thoughts are good. He's not out to hurt and to harm. It's out for good. So that's why his thoughts are not like our thoughts. And though I'm sure you're all lovely people, unfortunately, once in a while, our thoughts get dark. We want revenge. We want our comeuppance. We want our peace. Maybe I can get rich off of this. Maybe I can get that guy back. Maybe, right? God doesn't have any of that. Doesn't have any of that. All right, now we're going to get to the fun part. Okay, verse 10. Go to the one that has 10. Yeah, uh, verse 10 starts with, for as, the rain, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Okay, so here, to stop now, we're just getting an agricultural lesson that the people of Israel would have understood. And of course, we all understand, because we did grade nine ecology, right? This, what we're talking about here, we're talking about, <clears throat> you know, The cycle of the water, right? And and how it brings a yield, a harvest. Go to the next one, please. Uh, Is verse 12 missing? Oh, okay, go back to the last one. Sorry, 11 and 12 is missing? Okay, 11 says, so, that's that's the key one. Know why? That's why it's missing. I cut it out to make it the key one. So my word that goes forth out of my mouth will not return to me void, But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing that I sent it to do. My word that goes forth from my mouth will not return to me void. What God is saying is, everything I say does not come back to me empty. It does exactly what I told it to do. It does exactly what I said it would do. It shall accomplish that which I please, and shall prosper the thing I sent to do it. So if I sent the people of Israel to do something and they do it, they shall prosper. If I sent you to do it and you do it, you shall prosper. We're understanding a principle here. Okay? God exercises power through his word. Do you remember when we started last time we spoke? What's the first thing the Bible says? The earth was was without form and void and everything. And then God said... Let there be light. And then he goes on. And by the voice of his, by his own voice, he begins to create all things. We talked about, we know that the, by the heaven, sorry, by the word of God, the heavens were made. Right? We know that God speaks truths. So when God speaks, there is results. We started by saying that. It accomplishes what God said it would. It never comes back empty. And you might say, well, there was a promise of God a long time ago and it hasn't been fulfilled yet. It will never come back empty. It'll accomplish what God said it's going to accomplish. So all the prophecies of the Bible, all the things maybe spoken of in your life, God will see to it that it accomplishes that which he sent it to do. Amen? Now, if it was me saying it, I can understand. You know, I can't enforce it. I, can't, I don't have power to do that. But God is God. And He will make sure that everything He says will not return to me void. Or another good word is empty. Amen? So when God speaks, there are results. And verse 12 says, You shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. I like that one. Did you hear that? He's talking to the, captive of Israel, the captives right? who are going back to Judah. You shall go out with joy. And be led forth with peace. So instead of being, well, I guess we should go home. I'm worried about it. I don't know what it's going to be like. It's go forth with joy. Led forth with peace. And listen, text getting poetic here. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you in singing. And all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Okay, verse 13, put it up. Instead of the thorn shall come up fir tree. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to Yahweh for a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Essentially, he's saying, when you go back, it's going to be safe. When you go back, the very mountains and hills that you pass will be cheering you on. And when you go back and you start planting crops, I will prosper them. And you start planting this, you'll pop, and you won't run into thorns and so on. So, and this is a, a good word, and I don't know if I came up with this or somebody else. So props to that person or if I did, yay for me. Okay, Redemption always leads to celebration. That again, redemption always leads to celebration. We already talked about the prodigal son. Do you remember that story? The bad son comes home. He's, guys, he's a loser. He's wasted all his money. He's lived a crazy life. He partied too much. He did all things wrong. And he, it's only when he was at the point of death and that he stank and that he was ridiculous. It was only when he was about to die that he realized, I should probably go back to my rich dad. I mean, he's a bit of an idiot. But he goes back, and when he comes back, the father doesn't go. You stupid idiot! I can't believe. See, I told you this would happen. I told you. I tried to tell you. If you take your inheritance early, you're gonna, you're going you're going whatever. You know what? You're gonna start working for me, but you're gonna work as a stable hand, okay? And you're gonna work your way up. And if I don't like it, I'm not gonna promote you. And blah 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 blah. And you're gonna wear, and you're gonna wear like you're that 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 sackcloth you have on. You're gonna keep that on. He doesn't do that. The Bible tells us that when, in the picture that Jesus tells, when the father saw the son far off, he ran to him and went and got him, immediately promoted him to the same position he had before. Even though the son had screwed everything up, he got right back his inheritance and his place in the family. Jesus tells a similar story of the the, sheep, right? 99 sheep and the one that goes missing. Why did he tell that story? That God goes after the one, because his promises was that I will not let one leave me. I will not let one lose their way. So he goes and gets the one, and they're asking for for, uh, understanding of this, and he says to his disciples, listen, there is more celebration in heaven for one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who don't need to. Are you hearing that? Okay, we should be joyful of this. Now we have more than 99 people in our church and God bless all of us. I'm so happy we're saved and we know the Lord and we have a great service. But when one person amongst us comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, there's more rejoicing in heaven than for every church service we have. Okay, And that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Amen? Because that's how serious God is about uh, redeeming people and saving people and the celebration that ensues. Amen? Now for those of you that maybe you're out there, you might be the one sheep that's lost. You might be the prodigal son, the person who's run off and wasted everything and you feel like you're in a bad place. I want to share a quote with you. Uh, St. Augustine is a church father from the old days, really old days. He said this, O Lord, you made us for yourself, so our souls are restless until they rest in thee. So I just want you to hear that again. I'll try and say it in a bit more modern language. What he's saying is, God, you made me for you. And so my soul can't be at rest until I rest in you. It's the lesson that we learn from the prodigal son. It's the lesson we learn from this: that until we come to God and find our souls rest in Him, we're never going to feel right. So, I was uh, listening to a song with Val yesterday. <clears throat> well, I think we were driving to prayer meeting, <clears throat> and uh, it's called uh, "Made in the Image." of God, or image, made in the image, I'm not sure, by We Are Messengers, or a Christian band. And one of the lines they say this is, seven billion voices separate us, but only one can show us who we are. So in the terms of understanding when God speaks, there are seven billion plus now people in the world. There are a gajillion opinions in the world. Now Rhiannon and I like to watch YouTube together, and we watch people giving their opinions on different things. And there's... there's Dozens of channels giving their opinion on the same thing. Okay, And you multiply that by hundreds of thousands around the world. Okay, Seven billion voices saying, do this, do that, do that, do that. I'm encouraging you, listen to the one voice. The, one, the voice of the one who actually made you. The Bible tells us we're made in the image of God, so who knows us better than the one who made us? Amen? God loves us, and he's always speaking to us. So as he led the people of Israel out of Babylon back to Judah and the promise was full of all this ecstatic thing, did you see that, that, that prophecy? Now, there are plenty of prophecies where it's like, hey, there's trouble. But this is one where it's like, hey, look, come to God. Everything's going to be great. Let's do this. And we can learn lessons from that, take that and apply it in our own life. So I encourage you this morning to understand that God is speaking God is alive and well, and he's speaking to us today. And more importantly, I really felt this last night. i got to be careful. He's not just speaking to the world. No. He's not just speaking to us. He's speaking to you. Yeah. And if today you're sitting there going, I know God is speaking to me, but I feel bad. Okay? I want you to understand one thing. you got to search yourself and understand do I feel bad because there's sin in my life? There's things I know that I'm doing wrong that I need to repent of. I need to tell God, God, this stuff I know it's wrong and I gotta get right with you. Okay? That's one thing. That's a good Bible word called conviction. Okay? It means God is showing you some stuff He wants you to deal with. You just get remember what did we go back to that verse? What did it say about the wicked in verse seven? You want to go back there, Margarita? Sorry? Yeah, verse seven. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will what? He will have mercy and to our Godful, he will freely pardon you. So take that, if you're feeling that this morning, give it to God, turn from it and God will freely pardon you, okay? Now, if you're in a way where you, you feel stuck and you feel whatever and you don't feel like you can ever be forgiven, you don't feel like uh, God will ever love you, that is not conviction. That's a thing called condemnation, okay? And that's from the devil or, or from our own mind and that's something God wants to free you from. Okay, that's why the Bible tells us there's no condemnation for people who are in Christ Jesus because he doesn't speak to us like that. It's not God making you hate yourself. Amen? Okay, it never is. God's thing is always, hey, that thing's not right. Let's make it better. I can help you. Any voice that's telling you you're useless, you're garbage, God can't do this for you, God's not going to speak to you, that is the devil, or it could be your own mind being broken, but God wants to heal you of that and I encourage you this morning. God is speaking and what is he saying? He's saying I love you. Yeah. I'm here from you. My thoughts are not your thoughts so don't try to figure it out. Just follow my way and I will set you free. Amen? So I encourage you now whether you're here or, or online this morning to pray, to, to pray, just to pray this with me. Lord, I want to thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus. Lord, that As we just talked about in Easter last week, he died on the cross, but he didn't stay there. He rose again from the dead. And Lord, I understand, Lord, that if I put my faith and trust in him, I can know what it is to have everlasting life. So Lord, I put aside my sin. I repent of those things in my life which aren't right. I ask you to just come into my life and help lead me by your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray you just be with me. Teach me about Jesus and show me the way that I may live forevermore. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, we want to know. Please let us know. That's just a first step in a lot of ways. I can't wait till we're all together again. We've got so many people to baptize and so many babies to, I guess, bless. And uh, I was going to say baptize, but we don't do that. Um, You know, and so we're just looking forward to seeing you all soon. But don't think that you have to wait until things are back to normal until you start listening to God's voice. He's speaking to you now today, whether you're out in internet land or here in person. Amen. So God bless you all. We look forward to seeing you all in the week. Please join us in small groups or next week for church. God bless you all. Take care.